dinner parties. And what we're doing is we're look, walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we are not going verse by verse all the way through, but we are taking the theme of meals and walking through Luke and using those as kind of a means to choosing the text. And so we see ten different stories throughout the Gospel of Luke where Jesus uh, is a narrative or a story around him having a meal. And we're not looking at all ten of those, but we are looking at some of those. And so tonight's story is in one of those settings of a meal. Now a few just things before we come to the text uh, to think about is although the emphasis of this uh, series is on meals and having meals and the importance of meals, the importance of meals for building relationships with your family members, building relationships with people in your community group, people in this church, people uh, that you live life with, whether that be your neighbors, whether it be your coworkers, it doesn't matter who it is, but just the value and the importance of a meal and what that means and what does it mean to gather around a meal and uh, just it's in those moments that you're able to have more intimate conversations and get to know people. Understanding that our mission, as we say it here at New Hope, is to make disciples and to glorify God by engaging our city with the love of Jesus one relationship at a time. And so this series is focused on what are some practical ways we can build that relationship, and it is through meals. So although that is the emphasis of the series, let me be clear that each text, when we choose them, that is not necessarily the primary emphasis of that story. And so I don't want you to hear me say, as we come to this passage tonight, that the primary point of this passage is that we are to eat together. No, that's not the primary point of the passage, but the point is that this intimate, good conversation that is happening, that we learn about Jesus and we learn how we can relate to Jesus, happened over a meal. And it's in those moments that we're able to have more intimate conversations as well. And so with that being said, let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you. You may be like myself today. I preached somewhere this morning in Manhattan, and I left my Bible and my notes there. Some people had given us some stuff, and between that and my three kids carrying those things, I completely forgot my Bible. So I had to borrow a Bible. Don't feel ashamed to grab a Bible if you forgot it. Luke chapter 10. Uh, verse 38 reads this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. If you're filling in some blanks tonight, if you have a handout and just want to follow along, truth number one is we see the good distraction. We see the good distraction. What, what, what do I mean by that? Let's walk through the story, and let me kind of give some context to this. Uh, imagine, uh, and I want to kind of share the story in modern terms a little bit, just so we can kind of visualize what's happening maybe a little more clear, clearly and put ourselves in the story. Imagine you have someone show up at your house and ring the doorbell, right? This person you know, this person did not text ahead of time. Did they not call ahead of time? You didn't know they were coming. 
but they decided that they are here and they're at your house about dinner time, but you haven't made anything. This was going to be one of those just like quick PB&J type nights maybe, and you hadn't made anything, but this person rings your doorbell. Now, I know today if someone rings your doorbell and you don't know they're about to ring their doorbell, then that means you don't know this person, and you're just like, you're trying to figure out what they're trying to sell. But imagine Jesus not having a phone, not being able to email, not being able to say, shows up. It says in verse 38, now as he went on the way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So he shows up to this village that Martha's at and Martha sees him. Now we know and believe that Martha knew who he was, right? So it wasn't complete strangers, but Martha and Mary have an intimate relationship with Jesus. So they knew who Jesus was, but Jesus probably didn't tell him or tell them that he was coming. And so imagine you see someone that you're close to, a friend shows up in town and you want to welcome them, you want to be hospitable to them. So you welcome them into your home, but you didn't know they were coming, right? Because once again, they didn't call ahead of time. You didn't know what they were coming. You welcome them into the house. Now, your sister's with you, and you've got to now make something, right? When this happens, when someone shows up at my house kind of unannounced or unplanned or in short notice, even if I got a text message saying, hey, can I come over? I'm on my way. What's our first reaction? My wife and I's first reaction is, we have three kids, and this house is a mess. What are we going to do? We immediately start cleaning. We immediately light candles because our kids just sometimes cause the house to stink. And so we immediately light candles. We immediately begin to clean up. We immediately throw everything in this one closet, really hoping that that guest doesn't accidentally open that door thinking it's the bathroom later on. But we throw everything in there. We begin to light candles. We immediately turn coffee on or tea on. And then we begin to think, well, if it's dinner time, oh, no, goodness, we got to make something. But understanding Jesus didn't have Seamless, Martha didn't have Seamless, she couldn't call it ahead of time, there was no Uber Eats to get the food there, and so she's now like, oh, goodness, i got to make something. So she is busying herself in the kitchen, being hospitable to Jesus. Now, here's what we also know, Martha um, calls Jesus Lord in a minute, so she recognized who he was. She recognized his authority. She recognized him as the Messiah. He would do miracles in their midst. So they had an intimate relationship. She knew who she was. And for her, this very, very important VIP type person is in her house and she wants to serve faithfully. However, her sister is lazy. Her sister decides, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to talk to this person and uh, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. Now, part of this is personality. If you have a guest, and I have guests at my house, I'm, more, I'm busying myself also. I have a tendency to just make sure everything's okay and all this stuff. But let's talk about cultural context for a little bit. Cultural context being the first century. First and foremost, Martha is right. The culture and the context and the reality that she's the host, Mary probably should have been helping her. It's kind of rude, right? It's kind of rude. It's like this. Um, it's not the same scenario, but it's somewhat similar. If my wife is cleaning or doing something, but I'm sitting down and watching TV, I'm going to have a conversation later with my wife. Well, she's going to have a conversation with me. That's probably a better way to put it. Because it's just this comment like, can't you see I'm cleaning? Like, can't you see I'm doing something? Can't you help? Right? Or, or vice versa. It's just the common courtesy of how can we help and support one another but Mary's going, I want, I want nothing to do this. And so cultural and just common courtesy would have said Mary shouldn't have been sitting there. But not only that, in this context and in this setting, 
it was against cultural norms for Mary to be sitting in a room with guys, especially a, a leader and teacher of the law, while they are having these biblical conversations. It would have been against cultural norms for her to be there, even if there wasn't something else for her to do. Right? And this is one of the beauties that we see not only in this story, but throughout the New Testament, of how the church changed and welcomed women to higher roles than culture had ever given permission to. It's a beauty of how this, we see this play out in the New Testament. But here's a good example where she was welcomed into this setting where Martha was like, whoa, you're not even supposed to be there. But not only are you not supposed to be there, you're supposed to be in here helping me. And so Martha has that moment where she doesn't even do the nice passive-aggressive thing where she tries to get her sister's attention in the other room where she's like, and tries to get her attention, tries to get her to come on out, and then like gives her a nice, you know, sister to sister chewing in the in the kitchen where she lets her have it. She just skips her altogether, and she's like my son this morning. Um, I got two two sons. I got three children, but two sons. Levi is the middle child, and I don't know if it's a normal middle child syndrome, but Levi has the ability to get into trouble. I I, I say this tongue in cheek, but I really think it's his spiritual gift. He has the ability to make a how a, a mess in my house, and so. This morning, Jen and I are getting ready, and we have grown uh, parental ears enough that we hear Levi getting into something, but we can tell that where he is in the house, there's nothing majorly breakable there, and so it's like, we're just going to let it happen, because he's quiet and occupied, and you just fight your battles, you choose which one, and we're just letting him have it, let him do whatever he's doing. However, Samuel, who's the older brother, um, decides he just waits for the opportunity to tattle on his little brother and so he I, we can hear him telling Levi ooh I'm going to go tell mom and dad like that's just what it is ooh I'm going to go tell mom and dad so he goes off and tattles and he doesn't even try to fix what his brother's doing he just comes and tattles to us well this is precisely what Martha does in this moment she walks into the room and she's so confident that what she doing what she's been doing is the right thing to do that in front of, well, it doesn't tell us, but assuming in the room that this conversation was heard by everybody else in the room, she turns to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her. I want you to see that. She talks to Jesus, recognizing that he's Lord, and then tells him to do something. There's a little bold here. You got a little bit of confidence, right? She goes, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion or the better portion which will not be taken away from her. Truth number one is good distractions. Truth number two is better distractions. And I want to say these two truths together because they need a contrast. Because when I say good distractions, I'm referring to Martha. Why did I say it was good distractions? Because listen to me, Jesus never rebukes her for what she is doing. He, he does not rebuke her and say, you shouldn't be hospitable. You shouldn't be making coffee. You shouldn't be serving. You shouldn't be doing those things. He never rebukes her for those things. Those are good. But he rebukes her because she has prioritized those things over something better. I've titled tonight's message, Majoring in Minors. Ever heard that phrase before, majoring in minors? Think about it from the context of, of a bachelor's degree or an undergrad degree. Many of us 
uh, if you've gotten a bachelor's degree, you may have, have a, you have your primary major, but then you have a minor. I didn't have any minors, but it, you understand the context. Maybe you did as well. But you have a major, and then you have a minor. And the minor is important, but it's not as important as the major. That's why it's called a minor, not a major. But majoring in minors is a way of saying that you put too much importance on something that is secondary. Francis Chan said, my biggest fear, one of my biggest fears is that I'll succeed at something that doesn't really matter. That I'll succeed at something that doesn't have eternal impact. Majoring in minors is precisely what Martha is doing in this story. She is doing something good. She's serving Jesus. She's chosen something good, and Jesus does not rebuke her for serving Him. He just simply rebukes her for prioritizing or uh, getting onto her for getting onto her sister because her sister has chosen the better option. This story hits home for me more than a lot of stories in Scripture. It's the story that I constantly have to be reminded of, of this idea of just hitting the pause button in ministry. See, because a lot of us, like myself, and I'm going to talk more in first person, and this may apply to you, and I do believe it does apply to you, but let me just speak for myself is as a pastor, I am a professional servant of Jesus. Now, we're all servants of Jesus, but I'm, I'm being intentional to say it's my, it's my job. Like, it's literally what I, I've gone to school for. It, it's, it's how I provide for my family. And, and I'm putting emphasis on those things because I'm trying to point out that it's real easy for me to major in minors. It's real easy for me to spend my time serving Jesus and in the process miss Jesus. It's real easy for me, if I'm not careful, to focus on my time on studying Scripture, rightfully so even, and missing the person to whom Scripture points to. It's a constant challenge for myself where I have to hit the pause button in ministry, where I have to slow down, I have to be willing to say no, I have to be willing to just back up from serving Jesus for a moment and just sit down at the feet of Jesus. As we begin to think about some applications, th this message is not overly difficult. Uh, Jesus is not confusing in what he says. This text is not difficult to understand the meaning. And the primary purpose, that truth of the text as we walk away from is, am I sitting at the feet of Jesus? H how am I even as a follower of Jesus, speci being specific to what is explicit in this passage, how am I serving Jesus, which is never condemned or rebuked, but simply, if we're not careful, we can prioritize the serving of Jesus over actually just being with Jesus. How is that maybe true in your life? How are you majoring in minors? How are you being a Martha in situations? When we begin to think about, there's two ways I want us to process this. First is what is explicitly I just said, is serving Jesus versus just being with Jesus. Now, these aren't always in contrast, not always, but they are in the story where Martha is serving Jesus to the point where she's missing the person that is there. But then the second way we contrast this, we're taking principles from this. This is not explicitly said in the passage, but as we back up and take principles, it gives this idea of that we're busy doing good things that are distracting us from focusing on better things. When we think about this principle, not only just as it applies to serving Jesus, to being with Jesus and resting in His presence, but as we think about even further back of just looking at the things of this world versus the things of God. 
that how often do we busy ourselves with good things of the world or even of serving Jesus when those are good things, but they're actually distracting us from better things? This is going to sound legalistic, and I don't mean for it to be, but this is just something personally that the Lord is walking me through in the last few months, but even recently and even this week as I'm preparing this message. This is, this is normal story of, of my day is my day happens, and then about 8 o'clock happens, and my kids are in bed, and um, I finally come to this moment where I go, hey, I, I, I've got some school reading, or I've got just reading I need to ha- do. Just giving a simple example, this is always the case. There's always something I need to be reading. 8 o'clock happens, and from like 8 to 10 o'clock or 8 to 11 o'clock, it's just those moments where kids are asleep, where Jen and I have conversations, and when I read, but guess what? It's March Madness, right? You know what that means. Is basketball's on. Now, I want to point out something, and, and I may be stereotypical or stereotyping the North here, and forgive me if I'm doing this, because you don't love basketball enough, because we put out a bracket for the church to do, and no one signed up for the bracket except for people who were born in the South. And I'm just pointing out something that, that maybe, maybe this is an indictment on us people from the South. Maybe we worship basketball a little bit too much. But the point is, is, I'm from the South, and I'm six foot six, and I played basketball my entire life, and March Madness is on. So guess what? Eight o'clock comes. I need to be reading that. But Duke's playing, right? <laughs> right? And, and, and that's not bad, right? Watching Duke or basketball or March Madness is not bad. I'm not saying that. But I'm giving just a simple illustration that recently I've realized, and I give that example, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that. I, my heart is often distracted by things that are good, just not better. I want to say this, that distractions, because what does Jesus say? You are distracted. Distractions reveal what our heart really wants. We're never distracted by something we don't want to be distracted by. We're distracted by something we want against something that we probably need often. I want to watch basketball. I need to read that book. I I want to to watch basketball, I need to sit down and play with my kids. I I want to do this, I need to spend time just with Jesus. I want to do this, I need to spend time with my wife. We are often, every single day, we are faced with options of good versus better. See, it's real easy for us to turn down bad options for good options. Well, at least we think that, but uh, sometimes that's not always the case. But it's, it's harder for us to recognize good versus better. And the, one of the principles we can pull out of this passage is as we think to apply it to our lives is what are the good things that are getting in the way of the better things. And so for me and my wife, we've made a decision in this last week to get rid of Hulu. Hulu for us is where I watch basketball. Hulu is for us is where I do these things. Because not, once again, not being legalistic and it's not bad that you do those things, but for us, I was personally convicted in this season that that was a distraction always for something better. That this or whatever other things that, uh, for me, I, I've removed social media from my phone because that became a distraction for some things that were better. I found myself too many times, and I don't even know how I got there, mindlessly flipping through my phone and my son's trying to get my attention. Hey, Dad, when you're done playing that game, can we go do this? And I realized I'm not even playing a game. Even if I was playing a game, I'm not doing anything important. And my son's just waiting for me to give him attention. And and I've been convicted 
by this. Not that those things are bad. Don't hear me say that. But hear me say there is something better. So the principle in general of good versus better, this is why I said good distractions versus better distractions. Because Mary actually, from a cultural context, was the one who was distracted. Because Martha was doing what the culture said she should have been doing. She was being hospitable. She was serving. She was working. She was giving her energy. She was doing all these things. Mary was the one who was distracted from what she was supposed to be doing. We are all distracted by what our heart really wants. With that being said, I want to point out something that I believe is deeper in this passage than what is just, just a, what we immediately think of that we talked about. It's this truth. At the end, it says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What did Jesus give her? Like, what did Jesus give her that was so good that won't be taken away? For the fact that he says it won't be taken away, it's clearly something eternal. It's clearly something of value that goes beyond this life. So what is it? What she has done, she has received something that will not be taken away from her. Scripture doesn't fully say this, but here's what I honestly believe is in Martha's heart. I believe Martha has Jesus, the Lord of the universe, in her house. And I believe that she wants to serve Jesus so well. I think she wants to make the best pecan pie. I think she wants to make the best dinner. I think she wants it to be so good where Jesus is like, man, I travel all the time, but I've never stayed somewhere that has served me like this. I think she wants Jesus to tell her, this was incredible. I am so impressed. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have served me well. I think, honestly, that her heart was longing for satisfaction, joy, meaning, and purpose, and serving Jesus, when the truth is, those things we already have by just sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is the challenge, personally. Why? And, and I may be reading in too much into this, and so forgive me if you disagree, but I believe this is true because this is my heart. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor or just even as a Christian that I've been so busy serving Jesus because pride in my heart, insecurity in my heart, believes that if I just do this well enough, Jesus will love me more. Jesus will be more proud of me. Jesus will be more impressed with me. And I think what Jesus is saying to Martha by communicating that Mary has received something that she cannot lose, I think what, she's, what he's trying to say is, Martha, what you're trying to earn through this is given to you by just sitting with me. It is given to you in me. Mary has realized that value, meaning, purpose, security is not found per se in serving me, but it's just found in relationship with me. Now, that does not mean we shouldn't serve Jesus. Absolutely, we should. But there's a difference in serving Him out of duty to earn favor and recognizing that in Christ and in His love and in His grace and His mercy that we have everything that our heart is longing for in the person of Jesus. What is it that she received that will not be taken away from her? It's Jesus. You've got to understand something. Martha is so busy serving Jesus that she's not even in the room with Jesus. But she's serving Jesus in order to earn favor with Jesus. And he's saying, Mary 
has me because she's sitting here. That she recognized that to come into intimate relationship with me and to have that intimacy, intimacy where you have this face-to-face type conversations that we long for, this, this place where we're fully satisfied in Christ, it doesn't come from serving Christ, but it comes from entering into the room and sitting down at His feet. You may be in here tonight, and you may not be a Christian, and you may just be kind of here with a friend, or you may be here because you're curious or you're a skeptic and you're wanting to find more about Jesus, I need you to hear about the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that because of our sin, we're separated from Him. And I think whether you understand or agree sin by the way Scripture says it or not, where we've rebelled against God, I think in your heart you know it's true because our heart is longing for satisfaction. And as Charles said it earlier, that we are never satisfied in the things of this world. Why? Because God created us for something out of this world. Therefore, our heart will never be satisfied with anything in this world, only but something from without. And I think we know that and we're longing for that. But here's the good news of the gospel, is that you and I can never be Martha's long enough or good enough where we earn God's favor. But in fact, because of His love and grace and mercy for us, He stepped down in, and He, listen to, I love the beauty of this. He's in Martha's house. Martha didn't go to his house. He said, I'll come to you. I'll come into your living room. I'll draw in close. The invitation is just to come sit down. And in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ, if I can use the illustration, he has come into our house. He has stepped into our world. John chapter 1, that the word who's in the beginning took on flesh and dwelt among us. The language is that he tabernacled, that he came and put his dwelling with us here on earth He's stepped into our living room and He's invited us not to serve Him, not saying we shouldn't, I'm talking about just how we step into relationship, that we don't earn the right to step into the room. He stepped into our room and He invites us to sit down. What what does that mean? That means we put our faith and trust in Him. That means that there's nothing we can do to earn it. And this is the beauty of what Jesus is saying to Martha. You can't earn it, Martha. You can't earn it. I'm grateful for your service, and I'm sure that pecan pie is going to be real good, and I'm grateful for those things. However, you can't earn my love. Why? Because I love you despite you. I love you despite your sin. I love you despite your best efforts. I just love you because I love you. The condition for his love of us is not in us, it's in him. He loves us, and he's saying, Mary understands this. Mary just sat down and realized, I just want to sit here. And she has received what her heart is longing for, something that will never be taken away from her. And so if you're in here tonight, believer and non-believer, follower of Jesus and not follower of Jesus, would you hear the invitation tonight that the world is going to try to offer us good things, bad things and good things, but Christ is the better thing. Now, I use that language because that's the language of here, but let me be clear. When I say that Christ is the better thing, I'm not saying he's the better amongst options. The truth of the gospel clearly says that Christ is the only option. He is the good, better, and best option. He is the only option. And we unashamedly say that in love because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want to encourage us that as we turn to serve Christ, as we turn to give our lives to Christ, as we turn to sit at the feet of Jesus, he is our reward. Would you give Him your life today? Believer in the room, would you recognize that God is grateful for your service? Sure. 
that I believe that God is pleased with my service even now in preaching. But it, you, you need to hear me. That my joy, my satisfaction, my longing, my life is found not in this pulpit, but is found on my knees and in my Bible when I spend time with Him. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is inviting you. Would you hit the pause button? Time out. Use the sports illustration, March Madness. Time out in life. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, maybe this evening you'll go home and just hit time out and just spend time with Jesus. Because there's not a single moment where I've been a Mary, where I've sat down at the feet of Jesus and regretted it. Not one time have I ever done that. Because in those moments, Christ has always filled me with himself and he's given me what my heart longs for hear me that we are here tonight not just because we believe God's word, not just because intellectually we believe the truth of God's word, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but we also gather tonight because we really believe that Christ gives us what our heart is longing for, and that it's himself, that he somehow fills us, satisfies us, and leaves us wanting more, that I worship him because he has become my everything, that he has become my satisfaction, that he has become my joy, that he has become my meaning, my purpose, and my identity. He has become all of those things to me, and he's worth it. So this evening, would you hear that Christ is inviting you to better things? I want to end with the last fill in the blank. To engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. That's our mission, to do that means that we are distracted by eternal things. We're, we're distracted by eternal things. The, the verse ends, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha was distracted by good earthly things. Mary was distracted by better and eternal things. If we want to be people who live in such a way that impacts eternity, then we must be distracted by things that which are eternal. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I just trust that you will take your word and that you'll encourage us, that you'll challenge, you'll convict us, and that, Father, I pray everybody in this room, and I believe that as your challenge convicts, I mean, as your word challenge and convicts, that right now things are coming to mind that people are convicted of that they've been distracted by good things when you've invited them to better things. And, and I pray that right now that they would write those things down during this time of worship so they wouldn't forget them because we have short-term memory. We go home and we forget things. But let us not delay in obedience, but let us write these things down. Let us be willing to, to give up whatever you ask that might be good for something that is better. It's real easy to give up an option of something good for better when we understand what the better thing is. Would you help us see that you're always the better thing? Would you help us see that good things never need to be the priority over better things? And as you show those to us, not only in practical things like TV or not TV or whatever, but but in much better things of being willing to say no at times to busyness and serving you so that we can find time just to sit at your feet. Would you give us wisdom in those moments to know when we need to rest physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, so we can hit the pause button and just sit at your feet.
And then, Jesus, lastly, I pray for those in this room that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that tonight maybe they would put their faith and trust in you. Would you convict them of their sin and let them see that you don't convict of sin to condemn us in sin, but you convict of sin so that we'll repent of it and we'll turn to you in salvation. Because conviction lays on your hearts, I encourage you not to fight it, but you see that it's God pursuing you Jesus, the Holy Spirit, specifically pursuing you, calling you unto salvation, calling you into relationship with Him. Would you surrender? Would you confess? Specifically, Scripture says, would you repent? It means to turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. It means to confess your sin to Him. It means to ask Him to forgive you of that sin and put your faith and trust in Him not just a good to better option it's the option between death and life it's the option between wrath and grace would you see that that's not just a simple decision but it's the most important decision of your life will you repent of sin and turn to Jesus would you draw all men unto yourselves and just even in this time of worship you encourage us would you as we sit at your feet give us the good portion that we'll never lose deep in our hearts and deep into our souls pray all this in jesus name amen we